Psalms chapter 68. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. My lesson today is simply entitled The Rising Redeemer. God bless you. You may be seated. Taking into account my audience, I won't reinvent the wheel. I'm assuming you're familiar with the first book of Samuel. When you read those opening chapters of Samuel, the first Samuel, you, uh, you realize that uh, never in their lifetime has the army of Israel taken a beating like this. On every flank and front, the Philistine army had uh, outmaneuvered them, uh, outmanned them, outfought them. High priest is a fat blind guy by the name of Eli. He's a horrible preacher. Bible said there was no open vision. The word of the Lord was very rare, very precious. He's got two boys, Hophni and Phinehas. That one, first one's a little too close for comfort for me, but whatever. It's obvious they did not have the leadership ability to turn the battle. So uh, they realized if we don't do something dramatic, we're going to lose this war. And if we lose, <clears throat> then they're going to kill the king and they're going to kill the priest, which is our dad, and they're going to kill his kids, which is us. So they got this brilliant idea. Let's go steal the ark from the holy of holies and um, at Shiloh. It worked for Joshua. He never lost a battle as long as he had that box. And, uh, you know, I know dad would be angry, but what do we got to lose? And boy, could I spend a long time there because, man, did they ever lose. And uh, even though the warnings were there, don't you dare go beyond that veil if you're not a high priest and don't you dare go there without blood and you can only go once a year on the Day of Atonement. These boys burglarized the oracle, the Holy of Holies. They stole the Ark of the Covenant. They brought it back to the camp. The Bible said it encouraged everybody. They started shouting. They shouted so loud, the Bible said, the earth shook. Big deal. They lost the next day. They had a lot of noise. They really knew how to shout. And uh, if they thought yesterday's defeat was bad, these boys would play a very pivotal role in what I think is the most ignominious day so far in the history of Israel. They, they not only lost the battle, they lost their lives. They lost the ark. When 
a messenger came back to Eli and said, we lost the battle. The first thing he did, he didn't say, how's my boys? He said, where's the ark? Because by now he realizes the Holy of Holies is empty. When they told Eli, your boys stole the ark, we lost the battle, the Philistines have it. He was so fat that when he fell backwards, he broke his neck and died. Elated, the Philistines take the ark back to a place called Ashdod, where the temple of their god Dagon was. They put the ark in front of that idol, and to their consternation the next morning, Dagon's on his face in front of the ark. And as so many well-intentioned idol worshipers do, they set that idol up again. When they came back the next day, not only is Dagon on his face, what's left of his face, the idol's broken into pieces. If you think the news media covers up things now, trust me, they didn't want anybody knowing what happened in that temple. So they traded it off to another city. We're going to let you have the ark for a little while. It made its rounds through at least four cities that I remember of in the land of Philistia. All of a sudden, people started getting tumors. And if that wasn't bad enough, they had a plague of, I guess what you could call colon cancer. There's a word there called emeralds. And if that sounds close to something, then you're, you're right, because uh, you're talking preparation H here. I know that may sound a little amusing, but I promise you to those people, it was not amusing. It was a horrible way to die. And God humiliated those people. And they said, you know what? Maybe God's trying to talk to us. So they got a couple cows that had just given birth to calves, got a cart, put the ark on the cart and said, if the cows go back to the barn, where their baying calves are, we'll know nothing to it. But the cows overrode their maternal instincts and took the box back to Israel. It's a sad commentary. The, the, the Ark of the Covenant was a wooden box. It was overlaid with gold. It had a gold, well, it had three things in it, you know, uh, what was that? My, my grandma used to have, well, they call it Tupperware. They had Tupperware. Somebody, the Bible said when they came into the land of Canaan, the manna ceased. So obviously before it ceased, somebody went out and scooped up a, a bowl of them cornflakes. Somebody scooped up a bowl of that manna, put it in, in the Ark of the Covenant. There's the second set of tablets in there that the Lord gave Moses. I say the second because if you're familiar with the Bible, uh, Moses is the only guy I know that broke all Ten Commandments at once. And um, then there's the, uh, the rod, the rod of Aaron, almond, almond wood, almond, almond, however you pronounce it. Uh, it's the driest wood in the world. Most, most bark has, most trees have bark, cambium, and, and a hard core known as pith. But... Uh, Almond wood doesn't have any cambium. It's just bark and it's all dense 
So when it dries, it's really dry. And that stick had been in Aaron's family for many, many years. And when people were fussing about, about who was going to be on the staff of the church, they literally took staffs, put them in the tabernacle. And the next morning, Aaron's almond rod budded, blossomed, and bore almonds. That stick is in that box. On top of the box is a lid, a very elaborate lid known as the mercy seat. And welded into the lid are these angels, cherubims. They're not looking one another. They're looking down at the mercy seat. Once a year, a high priest would come through the veil with a basin of blood. And seven times he would splash blood in that completely dark room. Sooner or later... He was going to hit that mercy seat. It's not in the Bible. It's a, it's a word that showed up later on in the writings of rabbis, Talmud and things like that. It's called Shekinah. The word Shekinah means the shining. It was another word for glory. The, the Hebrew word for glory is kabod, which literally translated means the heaviness. You can feel it. Kind of cool what these people were singing about here today, and we didn't converse. And so I'm going to believe this day is orchestrated by the Lord. And um, all you precious Spanish people that are in this room and people that are watching, (laughs) I go to Mexico every year. They got this purple stuff called Fabuloso. And, uh, buddy, they clean everything. Now, my mom, she's a Clorox girl. But uh, all them Spanish girls, we use that purple stuff. I promise you, nobody used Clorox or Fabuloso to clean off the blood off the mercy seat. That blood stayed there for years. It would turn black. When the Ark of the Covenant went back, to a place known as Beth Shemesh, Beth Shemesh, however. They took the lid off the box. Bad idea. Because in the box is the law of God. As long as the lid stays on top of the box, the blood stays on top of the law. When God looks at the law, he sees it through the filter of the blood. You take that blood away, and you're exposed to nothing but the naked law of God. As a result of that, 50,070 men died because they didn't have the buffer of the blood. And so uh, it ended up in this guy's house by the name of Abinadab. It's there for years. Near as I can tell, it's about 100 years, which is really sad because that means for 100 years they had church without the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. 
which means that every year that priest went behind that veil with that basin of blood, it was a sham. There's no place to splash it. They're just going through the motions. And the prophet Samuel, as great of a prophet as he was, he never, he never made an attempt during the entire dynasty of Saul, not one time did he try to retrieve the ark. But the very first thing that David did when he became king, he said, where's the box at? Where's the ark of the covenant at? So they did a little searching around and they said, uh, it's in Abinadab's garage. And so, um, <laughs> typical man, doesn't read the directions, said, we'll do it like the Philistines did it. We'll get us a cart. I heard a wonderful elder, elder named Tom Fred Tenney years ago, he said, I'll tell you how you build a cart. You need boards and you need big wheels. <laughs> and he said, if you think you're going to transport the glory of God with church boards and district boards and ecclesiastical big wheels, that's how the others do it. It hits a rut. One of Abinadab's boys reaches up to touch it and basically gets electrocuted and dies. He's laying there in the middle of the road, goo dripping out of the side of his mouth. You want to take it? Mm -mm. How about you? No. All of a sudden, a guy by the name of Obed-Edom says, you can put it in my house. It's interesting because Obed-Edom is a Gittite. Do the homework. He's a Philistine. He's not a Jew. It's cool because it says the whole house of Obed-Edom was blessed because of the ark. <laughs> Tonight, about 7.30, Ashley's going to come get me and said, are we going or not, Dad? Which is code for we're going to Stony Creek to look for deers. Not deer, deers. We were there last week and we saw something really cool. We saw eight deer at one time. But what was so special about it was it was two moms and each mom had triplets. All them little spots, three fawns for each mom. That's Obed-Edom. His cows have triplets. I enjoy this time. I enjoy living in Michigan. But I really like this time of the year because uh, you can get fresh tomatoes and corn. If you know anything about corn, usually it's one ear per stalk. Not Obed Eden's garden. He's got two, three ears of corn on every stalk. He doesn't have to water his lawn. It just stays green. I don't even know if he flossed his teeth. He didn't get cavities. Same thing with Joseph. It said the whole house of Potiphar was blessed because of Joseph. 
There are people that aren't in church today because they don't think it matters. They won't miss me. Let me show you how much of a farce that is. The Bible said in the book of Ephesians, every joint supplies what only it can supply. And when it does, the whole body is edified, which means strengthened of itself in love, which means you're in love with God, so you're going to be there. You see, if you don't come to church, then I've got 9,000 things I can't get victory over. Because the Bible said one puts 1,000 to flight, two puts 10,000. So if you don't show up, there's 9,000 things I can't defeat because you never bothered to come. And the house is blessed because you're here. Just your presence, just being there mocks Satan. I was glad, not, oh man, we gotta go to church. I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Glad. Amen. So I'm preaching to the choir as my pastor used to do. He'd get mad when people weren't there and he'd just, and I was always wondering, why are you talking like that? We're here. So I'm not going to talk to you about being faithful because you obviously are. But do you heathens that are lazily laying on your couch and not coming to church today, I'm talking to you. So uh, if you're sick, I get it. You're incapacitated, I get it. But come to church. We need you here. I need you here. Because if you know the dynamics, it goes on. <laughs> I did the math. I've done this to you sometimes. I got a text yesterday and said, please repeat this. So I don't know where it was. I didn't recognize the area code. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that the number of the angels was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. So, if you take 10,000 times 10,000 and multiply it by 2,000, which would be thousands, plural, and multiply it again by 2,000, thousands of thousands, or 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Now, I know this is conjecture on my part, but just follow my thought train. If you do 10,000 times 10,000 times 2,000 times 2,000, that's 400 trillion. You say, whoa, that's a big number. Bible says in Revelation 12 that the, Satan, his tail drew a third of the stars with him when he fell. Revelation 1 and 20 said the stars are the angels. So if there's 400 trillion after he left, he took 200 trillion with him. So one puts 1,000 to flight. And two does 10,000. And three does 100,000. And four does a million. And five does 10 million. And six does 100 million. And seven does a trillion. You following me? All you need is 12. If you can get 12, there's enough dynamic energy within 12 unified people to withstand 200 trillion 
things. So can we get a dirty dozen in this church? I think we can. How good and how pleasant it is for people to dwell together in unity. Because you can beat the enemy. That's why Satan fights us on so many fronts. Because demons understand unity better than all Pentecostals. How would you like to be a devil right now knowing you backed the wrong horse? And they said, have you come to torment us before their time? Which means they know their day is coming. Their only hope is to stay together. And that's why they do everything. They knock them all you want. But Satan's really good at what he does. If we could have the unity in the church, the way the unity is in the demonic world, Oh, baby. See, I used to do a trick on people. I would travel. I'd say, I'm going to say a word, and I want you to yell back at me the opposite. And I would say, day, and the crowd would say, night. And I would say, hot, and they would say, cold. And I would say, white, and they would say, black. And I would say, Jesus, and they'd say, Satan. And I'd just smile. said, here's our problem. We think Jesus is the positive good God and Satan is the negative bad God. Let me explain something to you. On his best day, Satan was an employee. Understand that? He's nowhere close to being the opposite of the Lord. Not even close. And, and, and this is powerful because... David gets on the throne and says, where, where, you mean we're having church without glory? Are you joking? Let's go get the box. So, uses dead. David reads the instructions. And again, this is second service, so I can drift a little bit right here. Obed-Edom is a Gittite. Matthew will find it. I forget which one it is. It'll say, a day in thy courts is better than a thousand, Matthew. Whatever, whatever number that psalm is, if you've got a study Bible, look at the caption on top of that psalm. It'll say, to the Gittith, or to the Gittite. Some people believe that's a musical instrument. Some people believe it's him. Because when Solomon became king, he took the ark back behind the veil. And it says in Chronicles, and the doorkeeper for the house of the Lord was Obed-Edom. See, he's not a Jew, so it's going to take at least 10 generations for him to proselyte into the Jewish faith. So for the rest of his life, he just held the door and said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I had this thing in my garage for three months. You're going to enjoy this. Go in there. My great, 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 great grandkids. If you do your homework and study Matthew chapter 1 and read the 10 generations. Bible said in the book of Deuteronomy 23, a bastard, an illegitimate, shall not enter the house of the Lord for 10 generations. So you go to 
Genesis 39, Joseph's brother Judah has an affair with his daughter-in-law, Tamar, and uh, his name's Pharez, and you start counting from Judah and Pharez and count 10 generations, and you'll come to David. And it's why David said in Psalms 122, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go into the house of the Lord, because it took 10 generations for the shame of that affair to be lifted off of that family. Aren't you glad? We don't have to wait 10 generations when we do something stupid. <laughs> what a delight it is to be in the house of the Lord. <laughs> so David, <clears throat> every six steps, some people say it's seven miles. I can't prove that, it's just what I've read. Every six steps, he stops, offers a sacrifice between Obed-Edom's house and Zion. It's a long time. As he's getting into the city, he has taken off his kingly robes and he's out worshiping in front of the ark because the glory always follows the praise. And remember... I was a kid, I used to watch Johnny Carson. And he used to have this guy named Ed McMahon, the publisher's clearinghouse guy. Ed McMahon would go, here's Johnny. And that's what David was doing and that's what we do as we praise. Here's Jesus. Because we're out in front. We're introducing him. Michelle or Michael, however you want to pronounce it, David's wife. She's ashamed. King's out there doing his thing around the altar. When he comes back home, she says, wow, you looked really stupid. Took off your kingly robes. And he said, oh, that's nothing. I will be more vile than thus. Said, you think I did it today. You just wait. There's an interesting verse right after that. It said, and Michael or Michelle had no children until the day of her death. I've heard people preach that God gave her a barren womb. There's no Bible that says that. There's every reason to believe David ignored her for the rest of their marriage. Think of Michelle. She's the queen of a king. She's royalty. Her dad was Saul. She was bought with blood. David killed 200 men in order to qualify to marry her. So she's the bride of the king and she's been bought by blood. Does that sound like anybody that reminds you of anybody else? Don't make fun of worship. Don't, don't make fun of worship. Okay? Now I've seen, uh, and again, there's a fine line between glory and goofy. Okay, I've seen Goofy. I have. I preached in a church one time. Hmm. I think he's dead now, but it was in Texas. I was a Bible school boy. Bible school boys can't preach, but I could. And that pastor, he's a big deal, man. He told me, he said, preach as long as you want to, boy. We're leaving in 10 minutes. Okay. So about minute number nine, the place went up and blew smoke. 
He was so mad because he wanted to beat the Baptist to the buffet. I saw two old girls kind of built for comfort, not for speed. Oh, one went that way, one went that way. They hit right back there. Bam! Knocked them cold. People throwing suit jackets over them like Spanish matadors, you know. <laughs> one guy got so, I don't know what it was. He grabbed, this is a brand new church, brand new. He grabbed a chair and threw it and the steel legs stuck in the drywall. Now the pastor's really mad at me. <laughs> I've seen Goofy, okay? But, ever read that verse that said, you workers of iniquity, depart from me. I never knew you. It's the same word where the Bible said, and this man knew his wife and she conceived. That word means there's intimacy. Intimacy. And, uh, so that's why I'm very careful about this worship thing. See, there's, for you, if you don't know, there's thanksgiving, there's praise, and there's worship. They're all different. Okay? When my dad and mom would give something to my girls, they knew. First thing you're going to do is go tell grandpa and grandma, thank you. When God does something for you, that's a no-brainer. Thank you. Okay? Then there's praise. That's bragging on him. That's not worship. Praise is based on what he's done. Worship is based on his identity. Worship is based on who he is. If we're not careful, we'll stop at the level of praise and we won't go into worship. Because the Bible said in John 4, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Watch, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. You may be what God's looking for. Religion's looking for better workers. Jesus is looking for better worshipers. Better worshipers. Okay. So, there's going to be some of you, you're going to groan when I read this. And you're going to go, oh man, don't let him get started on that again. But I read these verses years ago and it, it changed at least my perception of this concept. This is Acts 15. And after they had held their peace, James, who's the half-brother of Jesus the bishop, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, men and brethren, hearken unto me, Simeon, or Simon Peter, took the blame. He went to Cornelius' house. He has declared how God at the first to visit the Gentiles to take out of them people for his name. Watch. And to this agree the words of the prophets. There's 40 men in the Bible referred to as prophets. As it is written, watch. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof and I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord who doeth all these things. Now, I graduated from Bible college. 
I learned about Moses' tabernacle. I learned about Solomon's temple. No one ever mentioned the tabernacle of David. What in the world is that? So I found this verse. It's in 2 Samuel 6. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Now, if you know your Bible, this parallels Chronicles. Here's 1 Chronicles 15. And David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. When David got the ark back, I've heard people say, Jerusalem is the city of David. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Zion is the city of David. David took the ark and put it on top of something called Mount Zion. Put a tent around it. Now, previously, only the high priest could have access to the Ark of the Covenant. Not now. Anybody can have access to the Ark. And if you study, I think it's the next verses in Chronicles 15, David appoints 24 praise teams. They rest not day and night. Around the clock, there's praise and singing going on around the ark. So I'm wondering, what, what, this is what James said. After this, I will return and build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I'll set it up. And when I do, the Gentiles are coming. And then I found this verse. This is Amos chapter 9, one of the minor prophets, Amos 9 and 11. In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins I will build it as in the days of old. Now, if you've been here for Bible class for the last couple of weeks, I've been on this prophecy kick. <coughs> and I don't know if I'll ever get off of that train now because a third of the Bible's prophecy. I am convinced we are the generation upon whom the ends of the world have come. They asked him three things, you know. What will be the sign of thy coming? When shall these things be and what shall be the sign of the end of the world? This is what Jesus said. Of that day and that hour knoweth no man. It's not talking about the rapture of the church. It's talking about the end of the world. I, I read to you in Bible class where they were known as the sons of the prophets. It's an Old Testament Bible school. Went to Elisha. And said, your master's going to be taken today. And he said, I know. I know. How'd you know? How'd you know? I told the story in Bible class of a pastor that I knew named Scotty Teets, who pastored in New York City. And he had a preacher from the country preach for him. And in the middle of Times Square, he said, I hear a cricket. <laughs> he said, what do you mean you hear a cricket? If you've ever been to Times Square, it's a loud place. They had a concrete flower box. The guy went over, 
pushed the flowers and reached in and said, see? And Scotty Teets asked them, how in the world did you ever hear a cricket in the middle of Times Square? He said, I live in a country. I hear crickets all the time. I'm tuned to hear crickets. He said, people always, always will hear what they're listening for. And he said, watch, I'll show it to you. And he reached in and grabbed a bunch of quarters and threw it on the sidewalk and almost had a riot. He said, that's what these people are listening for. That's what they're looking for. They're after money, so when they hear the change. The point is, I've said this to you before. Some of you heard it, some of you haven't. So let's just get us all on the same page here. There's seven feasts in Leviticus 23. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, atonement, tabernacles. The Lord has honored the first four feasts on the very day they celebrated that feast. Corinthians, I, I get them fixed up. Matthew, I don't know if it's five and seven or seven and five, that said, He's our Passover. When Jesus died on the cross, this is the, remember John the Baptist? This is the lamb. This is, remember in the beginning, lamb for a man, lamb for a family, lamb for the whole world. When Jesus died, the sun eclipsed. It triggers the next day. It's Passover. Jesus died on the day the Jews celebrated Passover. Jesus is in the grave on that day when nothing is risen because there's no yeast. 1 Corinthians 15 calls Jesus first fruits of them that slept. On the day the Jews celebrated first fruits, which was the exit from Egypt, Jesus resurrected from the grave. The Bible says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared on them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Are you with me? He honored Passover. He honored unleavened bread. He honored first fruits. He honored Pentecost. The next feast is known as trumpets. It happens in September. In September. So they asked me, when is the Lord coming? And I said, he's coming in the fall. And people said, you can't do that. You don't know the day or the hour. I think that's what he was talking about, about the end of the world. John Gibbs said something to me. Pray for Brother Mike right now. Pastor Mike, he's ministering in Georgia right now. Last week, John and Talisha were in Dearborn. Next week, they're going to be in the western part of the state. You know, just so we've got teams going out all over the country. and We're proud of that. But keep them in your prayers. Keep them in your prayers, okay? And I, I can't get sidetracked with all this because, you know, I had a man ask, a pastor asked me, do you believe in visitors from outer space? And I said, yeah, the name is Jesus. I believe God took on flesh and came here in the person of Jesus Christ. And he said, pray you be endued with power from on on high. So when the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2, that wasn't him bodily being there. 
That was talking about the spirit filling the body of Christ. You with me? He's coming back. But he's not coming back to the earth. The Bible said we're going to meet him in the clouds. But he's coming back again. And he's going to stand on the mountain. The Bible said the mountain's going to split and the Mediterranean's going to go into the Dead Sea. So there's a lot of prophecy going on here. So when you talk about the tabernacle of David, I know enough about prophecy to know we're dealing with Israel. But that's not what James talked about. He wasn't talking about the prophetical thing about the, you know, the Lord coming bodily to the earth. No, 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 no. He said, I'll tell you why the church is growing. I'll tell you why all these Gentiles are coming into your church. We have done what Amos said we were going to do. We have rebuilt the tabernacle of David, which was fallen down. See, David ordained 24 courses of musicians and singers. But when Solomon's temple was built, this is what it said. He took the ark back behind the veil. And then it said, we will wait on our office according to your desire. And that desire never came. He never asked Heman and David's worshipers to do it again. Thus, that whole praise team died out. But Amos said, somebody's going to rebuild that thing. You look at all this stuff up on this platform. Please give me the New Testament scripture for all of this stuff. Good luck. You got one verse. Singing and making melody in your heart with hymns, psalms, and spirit songs. Now, I think I know what a psalm is, and I think we ought to know what a hymn is. Now, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I'm grateful for the music that we have. I'm grateful for the music we have. <laughs> I personally am very glad we don't sing some of them songs. It's dark as a dungeon and the sun seldom shines and I question, Lord, why must this be? Oh, shut up. You know, they say the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Sometimes you need a new wheel. And if you keep squeaking about the music, it's just a thought. I was in the car with my mom not long ago. She said, I'll never complain about the songs we don't sing anymore. You ever heard this song? Hold the fort, for I am coming. Jesus signals still. Wave the answer back to heaven. If we don't all backslide, we will. <laughs> it's like the church is under siege and just a few of us are going to make it out of here. And I don't know about you. We're going to get fewer and purer. <laughs> but that word says making melody. The Greek word is twitching or plucking on a stringed instrument. It's the only verse in the New Testament for all this stuff. I remember he, I went to a Larnell Harris concert years ago. Larnell Harris is a Salvation Army. 
And he, it was in Atlanta. He said, how many Baptists here? Clap your hands. And that's Baptist territory, trust me, in Atlanta. And they were all clapping. He said, how many Pentecostals we got here? We were clapping. And he said, how many Church of Christ people we got here? And there were people clapping. And he said, God bless you, came to hear the music. I'll tell you where we get the biblical validation for all this stuff. Psalms. Psalms. See, when David became king and he put the ark on Zion, David wrote the user manual for magnifying God. Guitars, drums, cymbals, on and on, organs. It's all in the book of Psalms. So when Solomon became king, they got rid of all this stuff. Why did the New Testament church in the book of Acts grow? It wasn't just because of their doctrinal position. It was because of their worship that accompanied their doctrinal position. Spirit and truth. See, truth is wonderful, but I'm... I'm telling you, all truth is formalism and all spirit is fanaticism. You got to somehow go down the middle of the road. All right. Paul said, I finished the course. He didn't say I kept it. (laughs) And that's the way most churches are. We're like the pendulum on a clock. You go so far that way, but there's a divine center that brings you back. You with me? Is that my confusion here? And what I want you to understand is the reason the New Testament church grew. I've seen people use that Bible like a hatchet. We were in Okinawa and they had a phrase over there. It's good enough for government work. All the military fellows. I said, what does that mean? He said, well, Pastor Hoffman, if you're in the military and you want to cut a a, a candy bar in half, you got to have a micrometer. Not not a ruler, you got to have a micrometer. You measure it with a micrometer and you find the exact center of that candy bar. And then you have to have a very precise instrument and you mark the exact center of the candy bar. And then you find the dullest hatchet you can find and you cut that sucker in half. That's what it means, good enough for government work. That there's some things you're just stickler for details and there's things you don't care. I've seen preachers use the Bible like that. The letter killeth. I've seen people use that Bible. And I, had a, I remember a preacher one time, well, I skinned them sheep, Brother Hoffman. And I'm, in my mind, I'm saying, you're stupid. You can shear them twice a year, but you can skin them once. That's why I tell you, about twice a year, you're going to think I'm anointed. I'm not anointed, I'm just mad. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you a haircut. That's twice enough, twice in the natural, twice in the spiritual. About twice a year, that's enough. Rest time, it's going to be hope and worship and glory and faith. But every now and then, preacher's going to come here bent out of shape. Just a thought. And so, <laughs> church is growing. Why? Because they're worshiping magnifying, singing. See, just because you have excitement doesn't mean you have faith. There's excitement in an Amway meeting. There's excitement at a ball game. 
God ain't nowhere around it, but it's exciting. So just because you have excitement doesn't mean you have faith, but wherever there's real faith, there will always be excitement. Always. Because I taught you Wednesday, body, soul, and spirit are close neighbors. When something happens to you, spirit, which is faith, it'll affect your emotions, which is soul. Okay? Watch. David brings the ark to Zion. And right after that, he writes this psalm. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. See, in the Old Testament, they had this cloud over them. When they came out of Egypt, they had a cloud over them. That cloud was the visible manifestation of his presence. You could see it. There's a verse, Matthew will find it for me. It's in Corinthians 10. For they drank of that rock that followed them. When Moses struck that rock, you, you do your homework. You got, you got the bitter water at Merah, the water being coming out of the rock. There's no mention of water ever again until they're all the way through that wilderness. Where'd they get their drinking water? I know this sounds crazy, but Corinthians 10 says, the water followed them. See, my sweetheart, now she's here, and I gotta be real careful how I say this. You know, clouds are moving, let's go. No. Hey. I've been a member of the United Pentecostal Church since I was 20 years old. I'm 66. Last year, they got my address right. <laughs> 45 years, they've been chasing me. I ain't leaving, Harold. We got us a nice spot here. My wife's been watching this thing on YouTube. She has discovered, she's got the revelation, she is a cricket. Now, if you know what that means, I don't understand all that, but that's a certain kind of organizational style. There are people that want it all tucked away. There are people that want it all to be seen. My wife wants it to be seen. She wants to be able to walk into a room and go, there's what I was looking for. She's a cricket. I'm not moving, Harold. Architectural Digest just found me. I finally, they, the magazine finally got, we got the kids in a good school. It's a good spot. Baby, we gotta go. Oh. So that day is hotter than we ever remember it being. And that night, the kids are complaining, Daddy, I'm cold. Where's the sleeping bags? And the next day, my wife comes in with her eyes like a deer in the headlights, and she said, there ain't no cornflakes on the ground. The manna's gone. And you know that beautiful stream that we've been drinking out of for the last 10 months? It's dry. The provisions were in the presence. As long as you were under that cloud, the manna's gonna be there, the water's going to be there. The shade's going to be there. The heat's going to be there. The provisions are in the presence. 
See, I can't find, I, I, I've been working on this for a couple, I can't find one place in the Bible where Moses said, you know what, let's go. Let's go. Box it up. Let's go. Not one time. I'll tell you what they do. They keep watching that cloud. And when that cloud would start moving, they would say, God is rising. And when they said that, Kohathites walked backwards, took the veil off, put it over the box, stuck the sticks in the rings and took off. See, we think backsliding is when nobody, people don't come to church anymore and they start doing stupid stuff and, you know, smoking dope and getting naked and whatever. Get your Harley Davidson or get your wallet with a chain on it. I'll tell you another definition. See, this is what the Bible said. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And they were that form and void and darkness was over all the face of the deep. Watch. And the spirit of God moved. Now, if God is omnipresent, tell me where is he going to go? Where he isn't already. This is what it's talking about. The presence of God comes in two flavors. There's the manifest presence, which is totally different than the omnipresence. God is omnipotent, all power, omniscience, all knowledge, omniscient, omnipresent. Those three words can only describe God. His presence is omnipotent, omnipresent. It's there. There's a scripture that said, the glory of the Lord fills the earth. But then there's a prophecy said, at that day, the knowledge of the glory is going to fill the earth. It's one thing for God to be there. It's another thing for you to know he's there. See, that's, that's, that's my whole, I've been up here for almost an hour trying to explain this to you. Because <laughs> when that cloud moved, they moved. 42 times they moved. That's what we have to do as a church. What's God doing? Where does he want us to go? Does he want us to stay right here or does he want us to move? And when God starts moving, this is the Bible. God's rising. It's not talking about elevation. It's talking about moving. So here's my challenge to all of us today. I want to know whatever happened to conviction. You ever been in a church service where people ran to the altar? I've seen that. I've seen people run to an altar. I've seen conviction in a church so heavy. (laughs) I'll just be honest with you. I don't see that very much anymore. And I'm the preacher, see? And the Bible said somebody's going to have to stand between the porch and the altar. The porch is where the people are and the altar is where God is. So that leaves me in the middle. So I'm the culprit here. If there's no conviction in this place, it's my problem. I'm, I'm, I'm the guy. I got it nice, ladies and gentlemen. I, I, I just filed for social security. Okay? I got a nice vehicle. I live in a nice house. I, I, I'll, I'll eat decent food this afternoon. I got a closet full of clothes. If I'm not careful, I'm going to get really lazy right now. And I'm going to get very content because there's been so many. I pastor a church that most preachers would give body parts to pastor. 
I was on the phone this week with someone that's in a, going to a church and it is absolutely bedlam. And they said, what do I do? I just felt sorry for him. Just walk around here. Please find me somebody better than Kayla and Phil Heskett to watch over your, your infants. You're not going to find anybody better than that. All right? Find me somebody better. Amen. Than Tiffany Rickert and Stephen and their team. with our. Find me somebody better than Kento and Bianca with our youth. You're not going to do it. I'm bragging, but I'm a really good preacher. Anybody that preaches the truth is a good preacher. But I've preached 120 camp meetings. I've preached 200 men's conferences. I've been all over the world. I'm telling you, with, with the quality of the music, I, I, I got my eyes closed and I said, Renee, who's that singing? She said, it's Amanda. Amanda? I thought that was Lauren. No, that's her sister. And I'm opening up my eyes and here's Amanda over here singing her heart out. You can get, you, we're spoiled in this church. The place is paid off. We got millions of bucks in the bank and we're gonna get millions more and we're gonna build another church. But that building is a cheap substitute for the manifestation of the presence of God. That's a cheap substitute for that. I don't want people coming here because this is the flavor of the month. <laughs> when we built this building, we were building this building. We were in the old building and there was a group of people. They're wealthy people. They, they're a subculture. They built three churches. I would tell you where those churches are, but I'm on live stream. They're wealthy people. The whole bunch of them came to the old church on Gardenia. The whole bunch of them. And they said, when you move in to the new church on the Quinder, we're coming. And they thought that was going to impress me. So I said, would you wait right here? I'll be right back. I went back and I photocopied about a dozen of these things. And I came back and I passed them out among the men. And they said, is this application for membership? I said, no, it's application for AAA. They have a thing called triptych. You want to make a little trip? You just sign up here. Uh, see, see, we were becoming the new flavor of the month. And that's what, I, I don't want that. That's Pentecostal Bedouins. You know, we just bless everybody. You don't bless nobody. Get some roots. Bible said in Isaiah 37 and 31, grow root downward and stretch branch upward. All right. My cousin, my cousin's watching right now from, from, from South Carolina. He was in Lahaina. They got a thing called, there, called the, the, this tree. It was planted 150 years ago when the first Protestant church came to Lahaina in Maui. It's a banyan tree. Now it takes up two acres. I'm sorry, it's horrible. The death toll is bad. But guess what? The tree survived. Because of all them roots that were down there. Now the leaves are all shriveled and the bark's all torched and scorched. But them roots have survived and that tree's going to make it. My point is, get some roots. Get some roots. Please don't treat this church like Ben and Jerry's. Okay, what's the flavor of the month? If you possibly can make it, come to prayer meeting. Why? Because I'm issuing you a challenge today, coming from my spirit. Where does he want us to go? What does he want us to do? I want the anointing and the conviction of God on this church. And it won't come just by playing patty cake. 
It will come because of legitimate, sanctified lives that are separated from that world and unto him. All right? It's, it's time to be counted, ladies and gentlemen. Are you with us or not? Are you apostolic or not? Or are you just coming here because, man, I like the music and the preacher does a good job. I'm talking about a lifestyle change to where you dig in and say, dear God, I want conviction. I want to see people visibly move with the presence of God. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. It's just, it's just, it's there. Don't you get it? It's the presence contains the provisions. Okay? Don't you get it, Israel? No ark, no glory. No glory, no healing. No, no love, no joy, no peace, long suffering. That's all, that's all a package deal. It's all the fruit of the spirit. We gotta have the glory of God in what we do or we're just like everybody else. And we don't want to be like everybody else. I want the glory of the latter house to be greater than that of the former. I want to see stuff happen here that's not in the Bible. It's bigger than in the Bible. I want a global footprint. That's not going to happen just because we give money. That'll be because we, the Bible said, and when they came to where the young child lay, they fell down and worshiped him. And then they presented gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then they went home a different way. I'm telling you, God isn't after your money. God's after you. I'm after you. How about you falling down and worshiping the Lord? How about the preacher? falling down. Oh, but I got all these gifts. Your gifts don't matter. What really matters is that all of us learn to fall down in the presence of the king. And if we think our gift is a big deal and we've got odd in our heart with our brother, you leave your gift at the altar and you go reconcile with your brother. You can't take your gift back. You got to leave it at the altar. Then you can come back and use it in the magnification of the Lord. But it's not your gift. God's not committed to talent. He's committed to character. Stand. 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 Come with me. Come on around the altar. Hebrew word is kabod. Heaviness. When's the last time you came in church and lost track of time? Day with the Lord's a thousand years. Thousand years is a day. We have people in this room right now that are bad sick. And they're going to be dead in a year if we don't touch God. They're going to be dead. They're going to be dead. Uh, it says by his stripes we're healed. That's what it says. It says you have not because you ask not. That's problem number one. You don't ask. Problem number two, you ask amiss. You know? Let's not come here as panhandlers with our hat in our hands that, oh God, please do this. Let's make our request known with thanksgiving. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I'm a crier. I just, I've cried all my life, but I'm telling you, there's all different kinds of tears. And, and I, my tears are not tears of sorrow and despair all the time. There's sometimes I'm overwhelmed with that. But it's just, right now, we're going to pray. Amen. Let's, you, we've already had an altar service. People have already received the Holy Ghost. Amen. If you haven't been baptized, get baptized today. Come tomorrow night at prayer meeting and we'll baptize you. Let's just get this done. Let's just get it done. Get the box checked. Let's go on. All right? Lift your hands. Let's pray. Lord. We are absolute fools 
if we think we're going to do this without you. Your word says, not by my might, not by your power, by my spirit. I've heard people talk about anointing breaks the yoke. That's not what your word says. Your word says anointing destroys the yoke. It just destroys that, 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 that chain that held people bound. And then you said, take my yoke upon you because my yoke's easy and my burden's light. I'm preaching to burden people right now, Lord. I'm preaching to worried people right now. I'm preaching to people full of anxiety and this world is just leached and leaked into their spirit and they're scared to death and depressed when they aren't scared. I'm asking you right now, amen, not for arrogance, but for confidence, amen, that the Lord Almighty Omnipotent reigneth, that he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. I'm asking you, Lord, right now for an understanding in the spirit to happen to this preacher and to these people. last year, last week said, is there whoever needs the Holy Ghost come forward? And not one person came forward because there wasn't one person in that service that needed the Holy Ghost. We're failing our calling. We're failing the indictment that you brought on us. I'm asking you, Lord, I'm asking Lord to put, I'm calling on this church with the preacher to pursue the presence, to pursue the presence. I want you to rise. I want you to move. I want you to direct. I want you to do something in families that have never happened before. I want daddies to get serious. I got people in here right now living together. They need to get married. Oh, God, I'm asking for conviction to come on. Let's get that thing dealt with right now. I don't want to just preach to people and talk about sin and never tell them what sin is. I'm asking you, Lord, right now, that there be an understanding in my spirit and in the understanding of this church that we're not like everybody else. Amen.
believe when you start healing people, we don't need Facebook. We don't need Instagram. We don't need any of that. People just start talking. You affect you. Your word said the whole city came out to see you because it said you healed every one of them. Now that's either true or not. And I believe that if we will get into the place in the spirit where we need to be, I believe we'll see things that nobody can explain. In Jesus' name. Put your hand on somebody right now. Lord, I don't know if the person I've got my hand on right now is sick or not, but I'm praying healing on them. I'm praying healing on them. I think I know them well. I may not know them well, but I know you well. I'm praying for their family. Do they have a boy in trouble? Do they have a girl in trouble? Do they have children that have lost their way? I'm praying over them and I'm believing with them right now, God. Bring the prodigal back. That man didn't say my boy was lost. He said my boy was dead. I've seen that, God, where they're just dead. 